When you are free, you live a life that sets other people free. God has more for you than you can ever imagine. Three words, hope, health, and healing. Amen by myself. Welcome to Midtown. Today we are wrapping up our series that I think went on for about eight weeks, right? It was a long series. It was a series called My Dysfunctional Family. My Dysfunctional Family, From Trauma to Transformation. And so hopefully this weekend as your families got together for Thanksgiving or friends that are like family, if you got together for Thanksgiving, it was filled with a lot more family and not as much drama. Maybe there was uh, a lot of good family bonding time and hopefully there wasn't too much dysfunction. But if you did experience some dysfunction, well, then today's message may help you deal with the aftermath of all of that. And maybe it will even help you be better prepared for another month of holiday feasts and gatherings. Uh, Maybe you'll be better prepared as a result of this series and today's message for all those family gatherings that are still to come. So Thanksgiving a.k.a. the warm-up to Christmas, at least in my eyes, um, has already come and gone. But, but I'm going to amuse you just a little bit with a little bit of Thanksgiving like trivia, okay? So uh, we're, we're not going to play a game. I'm just going to give you some tidbits here. Um, I was reading an article, um, and in a poll taken by a Houston newspaper, they said that Thanksgiving was voted as America's second favorite holiday. Second favorite to what? To Christmas, the best one, right? Um, But it's the second favorite holiday. And in that same survey, it said that 65% of those who said that Thanksgiving is their second favorite holiday, 65% of those fully expected that there would be a brawl at Thanksgiving dinner. A family brawl of some sort. Not just like some little disagreement. They said full-on brawl, okay? So it's interesting because you could say that maybe Thanksgiving is such a great holiday that despite the fact that they fully expected a brawl to break out at Thanksgiving dinner, it's still considered people's second favorite holiday. But you know, I got to thinking... Americans, we're kind of funny like this, okay? I got to thinking, you might even say that people love Thanksgiving so much because low-key we like the drama. Like there's something entertaining about getting ready for like, oh, what's uncle so-and-so going to say? What's cousin so-and-so going to do at this Thanksgiving dinner? So, so there's, there might be an element that we actually look forward to some of the drama. I mean, it's kind of believable to me because we're just strange like that. We have weird habits that we just can't explain sometimes. Just like how we have a whole holiday dedicated to, to, to cultivating thanksgiving in our hearts, to cultivate gratefulness in us, to be thankful for all that we have, all our health, like the family that we have around us, the friends, you know, really centering ourselves on what's really important in life. We spend a whole day being grateful for what's really important in life. And then the very next day, we have a day, really a week, dedicated to going out and getting more, more, more. We don't have enough, so we're going to go out and get more. We're just strange like that. And, and, and we've, we've been conditioned to be like that. We've actually been like that since the fall. And I'm not talking about autumn. I'm talking about like the fall, Adam and Eve. Even back then... We've been lured away from having a posture of thanksgiving. And we're always tempted to get more, to have more, to be more. 
More power, more knowledge. This is what Adam and Eve were tempted with. They wanted to be more like God, but in the wrong way and with the wrong motives. Now, if you, if you did some Black Friday shopping, this is not meant to guilt trip you. I, I, you know, I, I took advantage of some of those sales too. They're hard to pass up. But, but I hope that you also remember to be generous towards one another as well. And I hope that even though Thanksgiving has passed, that we will remember to continue to cultivate and maintain an attitude of Thanksgiving. We don't need a holiday or a turkey to be grateful. In fact, daily gratitude is something that we should all practice. It's something that shifts our attitudes. It shifts the atmospheres. And it actually is a way to pray. It's a very simple but powerful way to pray. A prayer of thanksgiving. Just naming things that you're grateful for. You know, I know the worship team just led us in some great worship. And, um, and, and worship can be many things. It's not just singing songs. But since we're talking about family here, can we do something collectively for a second? This is also me attempting to get y'all to talk to me a little bit, okay? So, so it's okay for you to talk to me. In fact, when the preacher is up here preaching, we like it when y'all talk to us. I mean, we don't want you to boo us or anything, but we like it when you respond. If there's a little bit of call and response here, it's all right. It gets us going and it makes, helps, helps us know that, you know, the Spirit is doing something. We have ears to hear it and, and, and we're sensing that the Holy Spirit is moving. And so right now, I'm just inviting you to do a little talking with me. I'm going to invite you to do something that we at the Gomez household do a lot. So on our way to school, it's a short little ride to, to school, but oftentimes it's in the morning when you're trying to get people out the door that you really need to lean into the practice of gratitude in order to shift the atmosphere a little bit, right? So on the way to school, especially if you're trying to keep some kids from arguing or you know, if you just want to shut the complaining off for a little bit, you tell them, all right, we're going to do a prayer of gratitude right now. Say three things that you're grateful for. And it turns into a, all right, sometimes it's grouchy at first. Well, Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. Lord, thank you for the clothes that I'm wearing. Thank you that I get to go to school. But by the time we get to the second or third or fourth kid, there's actually genuine prayers of thanksgiving being offered. Sometimes they get really specific too. God, thank you that I had a warm bed to sleep in last night because this morning is really cold. Lord, thank you that we have clean water, because I know that not all kids in the world have clean water to drink. Thank you that we 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 have a family to be with, right? So so I want us to do that right now. And I don't I hope this doesn't feel childish, but I'm inviting you. Just it doesn't have to be a sermonette, but from out here, call it out. Say something that you're grateful for. Family. Pastor Susie, oh Raquel. (laughs) What else? A job. Bills? Health. Well, you could even be grateful for bills. I thought I heard bills, okay? Because maybe you have a home that has electricity. You got bills. Health. What else? Solar power. Amen. We live in California. That's a great thing. Retirement. All right. We're jealous of you too. (laughs) Coffee. Church, yes, amen. Okay, we're going to end there. Church, we're going to park right there. (laughs) 
We're thankful for this church family. You know, we're thankful for the freedom to worship. There are places where people can't gather like this. In fact, three years ago, what were we all doing? We were at home, not able to gather like this, right? And so when you start, when you stop and you start to think about all of the things that you really can be grateful for, something shifts in your heart. Something shifts in the atmosphere. And so if you find yourself in a place where you're just in a funk and you can't get out of it, maybe just for five minutes, you need to Say a few words and just sit with those one or two words to get your gratitude going. Lord, help me to see what I can be grateful for in this moment instead of what I want to complain or be frustrated or be angry about. I had to do that this morning. My husband's sitting in the back over there, and I'm pointing him out actually, but (laughs) he and I had a little disagreement this morning. But you know what? We had to pause. And the thing that shifted the atmosphere, because I told him, I was like, no, we're not doing this right before I have to preach on prayer, on spiritual warfare. No, we're not doing that. You You know what shifted the atmosphere? We stopped. I mean, it helped that he said sorry. But we stopped and we prayed together. In fact, he prayed for me and he invited one of my sons to come in and pray for me as well. Prayer, gratitude, stopping and pausing, acknowledging God shifts the atmosphere. So you know that saying, a family that prays together stays together. I know that's not always the case. That's the hard reality. Sometimes families that even pray together, life happens and they don't always stay together. But, but prayer does something to bond us to God and bond us to one another. And prayer is, is, is a gift that God has given us. A gift, a tool, even a weapon of warfare against the enemy whose sole desire is to come to steal, kill, and destroy And oftentimes we leave prayer to the wayside. We don't really use prayer as, or appreciate prayer as the gift and the powerful weapon that it really is. So prayers of gratitude might be where you start, but prayers of gratitude may also morph into something really powerful. It might be a weapon of warfare against the enemy who's coming at you, coming for you. You know, prayers of gratitude, prayers of praise are like nails on a chalkboard to Satan. He can't stand it when the saints praise God. The enemy cannot stand it when the saints worship and see God for who he really is. And the enemy's sole purpose, his his desire is to take from you, to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to lie, he wants to deceive, and he wants to lead us astray. Last year when I was... Uh, last time when I was here at the Elk Grove campus, uh, we actually did talk about the first family, the, the first family of the Bible. And, and we went way back to the fall of Adam and Eve. We called that sermon the, the fall and the rise of family. And ever since the fall of that first family, we've been dealing with dysfunction. But the good news is, is that God didn't leave us there. He didn't leave the story at that. He didn't leave us broken and helpless, traumatized, without a plan for redemption in place. He, he gave us Jesus. And in addition to that, God gave us the gift, the practice, the weapon, the invitation of prayer. God gave us a way of cultivating relationship with him. He gave us access. He gave us authority. And so today's message is entitled, The Family That Prays While the Enemy Prays. 
You get the word play right there, right? There's a different kind of praying that the enemy does. Um, so a few weeks ago when we talked about the fall of the family, we started with an overview of God's intent for all of creation. God's intent for image bearers like you and I to rule over and steward all of creation. God had a plan for us to be fruitful and multiply. And we read in Genesis 1 that repeatedly after God finishes his creation, he stands back, he looks at it, and he says, that's good. And when he's done making us in his image, he takes a look and he says, oh, that's very good. But since the time of Adam and Eve, we also know that Satan has been looking for his prey and it hasn't stopped since then. First Peter 5, 8 tells us that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now when the serpent slithered his way over to Eve, he was on the prowl. He was looking to kill, steal, and destroy. And he was on a mission to deceive, to lead them astray. Deception is a really powerful weapon that the enemy can use to steal your joy, to steal your faith, to kill your hope, and even destroy or distort love. See, doubt itself is not a sin, but doubt can lead to deception. And you, when you divert from truth and you get deceived like Adam and Eve, you start to go astray for God, for, from God's plans. And you start venturing out on your own, and it's so easy to lose our way. We lose our sense of who we are, who we're meant to be, who we're called to be. And among other things, at the time of creation, we were meant to take on our identity as both royalty, sons and daughters of the king, and servants, stewards of every good and perfect gift that God gave us, while serving one another in humility and in love. But because Adam and Eve allowed themselves to be deceived and led astray, their relationship with God was fractured. Their view of God, their view of each other, and their view of themselves became distorted. Adam failed to take responsibility for his own actions, and he even blamed Eve for his, for, for his actions, for his decisions. He, he even low-key tried to blame God. This is what he said. He said, the woman you gave me, she gave me some fruit. And I ate it. And then they also felt shame over their own bodies. And for the first time, they felt compelled to cover themselves from each other and from God. See, the consequences of sin cause broken vision, broken trust, and broken relationship between them and God and, and between themselves even as well. Sin caused a rift, a barrier, a distance between them. And they had fractured views on what it means to be sons and daughters, royalty and rulers. They were meant to be sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They were meant to have healthy, close, intimate relationship with a loving father, not sinners who hide for fear of punishment from an angry and distant God. That's how they reacted once their vision got distorted. You know, last Monday... I, along with a gang of other people who love and cherish Jeremy and Eileen and Isaac, we had the huge privilege of witnessing Isaac's official adoption into the Whitlock family. Yes, we can clap for that. We'll be back to this podcast episode shortly, but we wanted to take this time to give you an opportunity to give. Why do we give? 
At Midtown, we believe that giving is both an act of worship and a command. And the psalmist says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So when we give, we're simply giving back to God what belongs to God in the first place. For those of you who give regularly, thank you. And if you're new around here, there's no obligation to give. We just encourage you to give however God is leading you. You can give digitally on our website or our app, but let's take a moment to pray right now. God, thank you that you have given us an opportunity to partner with you in the work that you wanna to do to display your goodness and your love to the world around us. So God, take this offering right now, multiply it and use it for the good of your people and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now let's get back to our podcast episode. Now that, that courtroom, it was packed out. And, and, and both the social worker and the judge said that they have never seen a courtroom that packed out for an adoption ceremony. You know, I know that Filipino people, you be having big families, okay? But the Elk Grove Church family also showed up and really packed out that courtroom. And, and I know you felt it. I know you felt the love. I know that Isaac will look back on the pictures and the videos and really feel like, wow, we were really loved and supported in that moment. And, and I don't want to paint judges as being like cold and emotionless, but I was surprised at how emotional the judge who was presiding over the ceremony actually got. I swear I heard her voice shake and quiver. And if my eyesight was better, I probably would have seen tears in her eyes. But I know that I was crying. I was crying. It was, it was, it was very emotional. It was very overwhelming. It was beautiful. And, and, and the magnitude of what this means for the trajectory of Isaac's life is not, was not lost on any of us. It was an amazing moment. He was loved the moment that he came to the Whitlocks. But over the last two years, this boy has grown in love. He, this, this boy has also inherited a bunch of aunties and uncles here too, okay? He didn't just get a mommy and daddy. But this boy has grown in love and endearment. And now he is officially and legally a Whitlock. He is their son. He's their son. And he rightfully, legally, forever gets to call them mommy and daddy. You know, um, Isaac is an answer to prayer. And I, I think maybe they already showed the picture. Is the picture up there? But their very first Instagram post of Isaac after the ad adoption uh, had the verse captioned underneath it from 1 Samuel 127 that says, For this child we have prayed. He's an answer to prayer. And communally we got to pray for him. Now, can you imagine if after being so loved and cared for as their own child, and even after making it officially official, how strange it would be if Isaac were to call Eileen Mrs. Whitlock, or Jeremy Mr. Whitlock, or if he called them sir or ma'am. I mean, maybe centuries ago in a different region of the country, it would have been normal to call your parents sir or ma'am. But that, in this time and place, it would be weird if Isaac called them sir or ma'am or Mr. and Mrs. Whitlock. No, he's supposed to call them mommy and daddy because that's who they are. Prayer reminds us of who God is and who we are in relationship to him. We are not strangers to God. We have been adopted into the family of God. We're not just some kid out there. We're, we're adopted sons and daughters who have been given the right to call God, the God of all creation, the King of kings and Lord of lords, 
not just God, but Father. Not just Father, but Daddy. Not just Daddy, but Abba, Father. There is something really intimate and close and special about that. Prayer reminds us of who God is, but it also reminds us of who we are as sons and daughters of God. You know, when Adam and Eve were led astray and deceived by, <coughs> deceived by the serpent, <coughs> they lost sight of God as a good and loving and trustworthy father. Tyler Staten, he's a pastor out in Portland. He, he recently wrote a book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. And in one section of this book, he explains what happens here in Genesis 2. He said, in Genesis 2, it's interesting because God is repeatedly called Yahweh Elohim. Okay? So God is described as Yahweh Elohim, which means Lord God. But it's interesting that every time the serpent refers to God, he just says Elohim. He drops the Yahweh and he says Elohim. Now, now what's significant about this is that Elohim is sort of the generic or abstract way of referring to God. It's almost like saying the higher power or the divine one, the celestial being. It's kind of generic. So he does this on purpose to take away familiarity, to take away closeness to God. He says Elohim instead of Yahweh Elohim, which is more familiar and more intimate. The serpent did this on purpose because in this context, by dropping Yahweh, it's like calling, it's like calling your parent Mr. or Mrs. It's, it's like if I went home and my, my, my kids, they don't call me pastor, they call me mommy. You know, uh, someone who's married to a doctor doesn't call their spouse doctor so-and-so at home. They call them by their name or maybe even babe or honey or whatever, right? So, so by dropping Yahweh from Yahweh Elohim, Satan was creating distance between Adam and Eve and their view of who God is. So as Staten puts it, the serpent suddenly, uh, subtly, subtly demotes God from father to a distant, stingy dictator. He's mighty in power, but he's unknowable and untrustable. So when Satan says, did Elohim, aka abstract distant God, really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He cast doubt on God's word and authority. And, and when he said, no, you will not die. In fact, Elohim knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like Elohim, knowing good and evil. He even deceived Eve into questioning the goodness of God, the heart of God, the Father, the intent of God. The serpent deceived Eve into thinking that perhaps he can't be trusted. Maybe he's not a good and loving father after all. What's he holding out on us? Oh, I don't know if he can be trusted. This is what the enemy was doing. So when Eve starts to go astray about who God is, a good, trustworthy, familiar father, she in turn also starts to forget about who she is, a beloved daughter. Satan wants to lead us astray. He wants us to forget and go astray from our real identity. See, there's a million ways that you can describe what prayer is. Prayer can be described as simply communicating with God, 
Or prayer is practicing the presence of God. Prayer might be reordering our affections or realigning ourselves to God. Prayer is communion or fellowship with God. Prayer is awareness of God's nearness. Staten says that prayer is an invitation to remember who God is, an invitation to remember who we are, and an invitation to remember who we are to one another. While Staten's emphasis here is on the word remember, I want to pay some attention to the word invitation. One scripture that often beckons me to prayer is, is Matthew eleven twenty eight that simply says, Come, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That to me is a picture of what prayer is. It's an invitation to just come be in the presence of God. Come, come to me, come with all of your worry, all of your tiredness, all of your anxiety, just come. If you're weary and you're burdened, come to me. That's what prayer is for me, come. It's an invitation to be in God's presence. Prayer is RSVPing to the invitation to come. It's initiated by God. I don't have to strive. I don't have to dress a certain way or have the right words. I just have to come in my weary, broken state to God. That's what prayer is, an invitation, responding to the invitation to come to Jesus. So when you take up the invitation to come, that's when the remembering starts to happen. You remember who God is. You remember who you are. You remember who we are to one another. My version of that same statement is this. Prayer is an invitation to come draw near to God and remember who Yahweh Elohim is. It's an invitation to come into the presence of God and be reminded of who you are. And it's an invitation to sit at the table together as a family and remember who we are meant to be for one another and to one another. We're a family that packs out a courtroom to show up for a baby's adoption. We're a family that shows up to one another when we're going through some things. We're a family that shows up for birthdays and for baby showers and weddings, but we're a family that also shows up when you lose a family member, for funerals, when your marriage is in crisis, when there's a mental health crisis. We're a family that will be there when you discover that your husband has a heart condition that we never knew about and has to fly across the country to get a life-saving surgery. We show up for each other through the good times and the bad times. And we are being an answer to prayer for one another. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he taught them how to show up to God. He taught prayer by inviting them straight into it. They said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus simply started to pray. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He started the Lord's Prayer. He taught them how to pray by praying. And, and he, and he kind of coined the, the saying that this probably came from that more is caught than it is taught. He just did it with them, right? So actually right now I want to pause and play a quick video for you. Um, if you've never been to the Sacramento campus, maybe Zayden um, is not yet a familiar face to you. But, but if you have, there's a chance that you've met Zayden um, out in the hallway or in the lobby or in the parking lot. Um, I met Zayden, I think, last year when he was eight years old. And, and you know, Zayden has a lot more boldness than I think most adults do. 
Zayden just has a really pure heart, and he wants to be a blessing to people. And so what Zayden will do is he'll meet you out in the hallway or in the parking lot, and he'll say, hey, is there anything that I can pray with you about? Is there anything that I can pray for you about? And he'll stand, and, and if you say yes and you share a prayer request, right there on the spot, he'll start to pray for you. He's just made himself available to pray, and he invites other people to draw near to God with him in prayer, and it blesses so many people. So let's watch this video real quick. So about six and a half years ago, we were called to serve the homeless community. Um, and when we did that, we, we took the kids with us. So we went out to Discovery Park and we started bringing out volunteers. We would just go wherever the Holy Spirit led us. We started interacting with the homeless community and praying with them. Zayden got to witness that, our daughter got to witness that, and that produced a lot of seed, good seed in our family, and really um, started off with his journey and his sister's journey to, to really be generous and do more. Uh, not only for each other inside of the household, but outside of the household and what could they do inside their schools or um, with their friends. And, and they started to foster that more and more. And that just became a daily, especially for our son, Zayden here. I remember or small bits of this moment. My parents have, have had to well, tell me more about it and stuff of how like once there was a homeless, that didn't like accept anything from my parents or anyone. But uh, like minutes later, or I was drawing with that homeless. He started seeing God move out there. He started seeing the active hand of God. So um, as we were praying, people would want to give their lives to God and, and we would start doing baptisms. There was drug dealers that would lay their drugs at our feet and want to be baptized. There was healings. and. Even though we don't serve at that capacity for maybe about the last two years, that's where the seed was planted and that's when it was put in his heart, the desire to serve. Well, as I was seeking for God, I'd, I felt that like, like everyone in the world doesn't get a prayer or some people have hard times and, and they and they need someone generous enough to go around and pray for them and to help them. And then as I was helping them, um, I just felt help, help God's word or God guided me. I had no idea what the next prayer was going to be. I had no idea what I was going to say. I would just go random and have God guide me with my words. And then I was figuring out what God uh, was using me for, for praying and all of that. And I'm just waiting for God to guide me in different ways. Isn't that beautiful? Now, Zayden, he's not, he's not like a little child prodigy. He's not some genius. He's like, he's just, he's this regular kid who wants to be used by God. He's not the most eloquent person. He's not the most impressive person, but he's available to God. And that is such a blessing to people. He wants to invite people into the presence of God. And he caught that because his parents invited him to take part in the blessing of praying for other people. He learned how to pray by praying. He learned how to pray by watching what his parents did and praying for others. So in Matthew 6, 
This is what Jesus says. This then is how you should pray. When the disciples asked him, how should we pray? This is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen, right? Many of you know this prayer, and maybe you learned it at an early age. Maybe it's new to you. We're going to do some explaining here if it is. But with the first two words, Jesus invites us into fellowship with God, our Father. Not some abstract, divine, unknown, distant, celestial being, our Father. And every word here is important. Yes, Father is the emphasis here, but it's not my Father, it's our Father. There's a communal and collective element to prayer. And he's inviting the disciples to see God as their Father as well, our Father. Now, just in case you're like the little girl on the viral TikTok video that Rocky sent some of us earlier this week, we don't want you to get confused and think that God's name is Howard, okay? Our Father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name, is what this little girl said. So God's name is not Howard, but the language that Jesus uses to address God is more personal than calling God by a first name. Addressing Yahweh Elohim as our father was almost scandalous to the disciples. You know, we take this for granted now, especially for those of us who have heard this prayer for years, or if you grew up in a fa- Catholic family, you know, the, 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 the Lord's Prayer is actually referred to by some as the Our Father Prayer, right? And it's, it's, so, it's said so often and it's said so familiar that its meaning, its power can be lost on us. But to call God Our Father was radical for the disciples to hear. They had never heard it before. Addressing God in this way, our Father, was not the way that they grew up learning how to pray. And remember, these were good Jewish boys, boys who grew up praying and memorizing the Torah, and they knew how to do religious customs, but Jesus was reframing prayer for them. He was saying, this is not a ritual or things that you just say because you've said them since you were a child. It's a communion. It's an invitation to be near to our Father. There was something different about the way that Jesus prayed. That's why they asked him, teach us how to pray. So when Jesus opens with our Father, I wonder if the the disciples, they immediately paused and looked at each other like, what did he just say? Our Father. That was radical for them. It's intimate. It's warm. And it's an invitation for all of us. Our Father, because of Jesus, we are in fact invited to know God as our Father and to know Him up close and personal as cherished sons and daughters, not distant third cousins or uninvited guests. See, the opening words of the Lord's Prayer is an invitation to know our Father, who happens to be the God of the universe. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is thy name. And see what Jesus does in this very first sentence of this prayer is he invites us into deep relationship with the Father. And he invites us to also know that he is to be revered and respected. Our Father who art in heaven, who knows everything, is the creator of the entire universe, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great I am. Holy is your name. 
And we are invited to know you as our Father. He is accessible and available to us. He ain't no average Joe or an average Howard. He is the great I am, the King of Kings. And yet he loves us and he invites us to have an identity rooted in him as sons and daughters of the Most High and the One True God. So once we've been introduced to this idea of God being a good and loving and strong and powerful father, I think that what Jesus wants us to do is also to come to know him so intimately that we would be even comfortable enough to know him as Abba Father, like Jesus did. Some say that the word Abba is best translated to mean Daddy or Papa. And it's not really wrong to translate it this way, but, but I think if we say daddy or papa, some of us think of that as a, a term of endearment reserved for children. It's a, it's a word that some of us grow out of over time. But, but daddy, the word daddy is not, um, or the word abba, sorry, is, is not meant to be like daddy where it's a childish word that we grow out of. It's a word that's especially dear, especially intimate, and especially inviting. You don't just call anybody abba father. So the disciples noted that Jesus would regularly steal away from from the crowds and he would go have time with the Father. He cultivated intimacy with God. And I wonder if maybe then Jesus referred to God as Abba. In his most intimate moments, he said, Abba, Father. And the only place that's really recorded that Jesus calls out to Abba, Father was in the time of Jesus' most need, his time of desperation, where he can barely get the words out, at a time when he was deeply distressed and troubled. His soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He falls to the ground moments before getting arrested and sentenced to death, tortured, humiliated, and being nailed to the cross. And Jesus calls out to God. He says, Abba, Father. Father alone is intimate, but Abba Father communicates another level, level of dependency and submission and desperation for God. In his hour of deepest need and his most heartfelt prayer, Jesus prayed a prayer that actually resembles how he taught the, the disciples to pray. In the Garden of Gethsemane, at a time when his spirit was so overwhelmed with sorrow that the scriptures say that he started to sweat blood Jesus prays this prayer. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Do you notice how that sounds similar to our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's recognizing who God is. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but your will be done. It echoes that second line, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer was both a response to God's invitation to come, all you who are weary and burdened, draw near to me, but it's also a complete surrendering to God's will. I'm coming to you, God, because I need you so desperately. And I understand that you may not take this cup of suffering from me right now, but I'm still going to draw near because I desperately, desperately need you, and I can't do this without you. That's what this prayer was. It was a surrender and an acknowledgement of who God is. The words, Abba, Father, on its own communicate so much. It's all at once familiar and intimate, but it's reverent, dependent, and surrendered to God. 
I wish we had time to go through the entire Lord's Prayer. But even if we just landed here, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've covered a lot of ground. It's a response to the invitation that the Father has given us to be loved and to be cared for, to be known and to rest in his sovereignty. It's an invitation to be reminded of who you are, sons and daughters, adopted children who have the right to call God, the Father of all creation, our own heavenly Abba, Father. And there's also an expectation to love one another, care for one another, and pray for one another. Because if it's our Father, you know what that means? You and I are brothers and sisters to one another, and we're to care for one another. I'm going to end with this one last imagery that brings the the heart of prayer, especially for one another alive. Elephants, as you know, are huge animals. And there aren't many animals that can take down an elephant, not on its own and not very easily. But there are predators out there, and baby elephants, especially calves, are are the easiest to be preyed upon. Um, It's easy for a baby elephant to be preyed upon if there is no covering for the elephant. Now, over time, tired of their babies being preyed upon, Mama elephants came up with a way of protecting their babies. When a sister elephant is ready to give birth, because this elephant has been pregnant for two years, okay? Elephants are pregnant for two years, so they know, okay, this sister has been through a lot. We're going to cover her right now. We're going to take care of her. When the mama elephant is in labor, ready to give birth to her baby elephant, you know what the other sister elephants do? They help her out. They circle around her. They get close so that nothing can penetrate the wall of elephants around the mama elephant who's going to give birth to a baby in the middle of the circle. They circle up, they get close, and they start to kick up dust. You know what they're doing? They're kicking up dust, A, to prevent the scent of birth detectable from the predators there. So it's a, it's a line of defense, but it's also an act of aggression. They're telling their predators, you know what? You can't mess with us because there's a whole lot of us here. So kicking up dust is a signal to any predators out there that we're on the hunt right now. We're, we're on the defense right now. And if you come at us, if you try to come for this baby, if you try to come for this mama, well, you have to get through us first. And it's not going to be an easy thing. If you didn't know, mama elephants are pretty gangster, right? (laughs) And if you don't know, now you know. Um, Now the enemy roams around like a roaring lion, a slithering snake, a hungry hyena looking for someone to devour. So elephants have a way of interceding on one another's behalf. You know what interceding means? It means you get between. You stand in the gap. Elephants are interceding for for, for one another. They go between. They kick up dust when they need to. They circle up. They get in tight and they get ready to fight. Now your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is actually a prayer of surrender and it's a prayer of intercession. It's a releasing and an asking. It's saying not my will be done, but your will be done, Lord. 
Prayer is our way of releasing what is out of our control and giving it to God, asking God to fill us with His Spirit. Interceding is being the in-between, standing in the gap, being a mama elephant for someone else. But it's also a releasing and an asking God, not my will, but your will be done. And so there is something that we need to do to RSVP to the invitation that God has given us. Prayer is a powerful weapon that so many of us leave untouched. And here's my challenge to all of you. I wonder if you don't pray as much as we really should because you don't actually believe the power of prayer. When you don't really believe the power of prayer, I wonder if your view of who God is still kind of distorted. So I wonder if what we can do is really just get intentional about getting in the presence of God reordering our lives to be oriented towards Christ. To say, I call you Lord, I want to let you be Lord. Not my will be done, but your will be done. So here's a challenge and application that I'm going to leave you with. I think that as a church, right now, we're experiencing a lot of growth here at the Elk Grove campus and over at the SAC campus. And because we're experiencing growth, because good things are happening, the enemy is really angered and bothered. And he's prowling around like a hyena. He's trying to sniff out where the baby calves are at. And we need to get serious about praying together and praying for one another as well. So there's power in prayer. And there's power in doing it together. Our Father, we're going to come together. And so here's a challenge. Pastor Ty, you actually kind of threw it out there last Tuesday. And we didn't talk this out. But here's just, I'm going to take it upon myself to say, hey, can we as a family here at Elk Grove commit to doing this together? Every morning at 7 a.m., set an alarm. Every evening at 7 p.m., set an alarm. And even if it's just for a few minutes or even up to seven minutes, at 7 a.m. and at 7 p.m., can some of us commit to praying together? Can we be a herd of elephants together, kicking up dust against the enemy? At 7 a.m., set an alarm, and maybe for seven minutes, you get in the presence of God and and intercede according to the Spirit. 7 p.m., set an alarm, and all of us are going to be praying together for the next seven days until next Sunday. Amen? Can we do that? Let's see what happens to shift the atmosphere. And I think God's will will be done. We'll get a taste of God's glory. Thy will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much for tuning into Midtown Church. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast for weekly messages to stay rooted in the word and for a dose of hope, health, and healing in your life. Want to get more connected to Midtown Church? Just visit us online at midtownchurch.org.